Today, we actually are coming to the end of our study in Ephesians, our study on family ties that we've called it God's call to the church, Paul's call to this diverse community there in Asia, in Ephesus, to come together to come together in worship, to come together in community, to be one, to be united, to be the church. And it's so appropriate that we talk about that on this day, the birthday of the church. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And it was seven weeks, seven Sundays after the resurrection of Christ that Pentecost was being celebrated. It actually was an already a festival, a Jewish festival for the giving thanks for the harvest that had been, uh, they had received and it was 50 days after Passover. And so at this time, there were many, many people in Jerusalem. There were many cultures, many languages, many different customs of people coming together to celebrate this great feast of Pentecost. But as we know, in Acts chapter 2, during that time, there was a small group, a small band of disciples gathered together in the upper room. And the scripture tells us that when they were there, all of a sudden there was a sound like a, a mighty rushing great wind. And they saw things that looked like flames of tongues of fire falling from heaven and breaking up and resting on individuals that were in that room. And the Bible tells us then that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that they went out speaking in tongues and, and languages that they didn't even know. And what was so unique about it is with this massive crowd of, of people from different cultures and different languages, they were hearing in their own language. But most important, the gospel was being preached. And people were being saved. It was the birth of the church. That power from above that Jesus Christ had promised came. The Holy Spirit descended. And the church had a birthday party. And so today we celebrate that. We celebrate the Holy Spirit and his presence in our lives. You know, Paul, of course, was very, very familiar with the Holy Spirit. He'd experienced the power of the Spirit. He lived uh, in, in submission to the Spirit. And much of what we know, theology-wise, comes from what Paul has written. Things like the, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And in Ephesians, as we've been even walking through the book, we've seen... Paul referring to the Spirit. In fact, immediately early in the chapter, he says, the Spirit marks us as ones who have been claimed by Christ, ones who have given our life to Christ. We now belong to God and he's, he marks us, he seals us with his seal. The, the Ephesians also, Paul writes that the Spirit brings wisdom to us and this is the Spirit that brings unity and it's the Spirit that brings that power. The power that Paul knew also well. But Paul, in his writings, not just in Ephesians, but also throughout the New Testament, also makes it very clear that besides the Holy Spirit, 
there are other spirits. There, there is another spirit I would say, call an unholy spirit that is also at work and active in our world. In fact, a couple weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 2, we talked about this when Paul was saying, stay away from how you used to live, you know, your former lives. He says this in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. And he says, you know, don't live like the Gentiles. If you remember that, don't follow their ways. But then he goes on, it's not just the ways of the Gentiles and the ways of the world. He says it's the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are in disobedience. So Paul's clear. There is the Holy Spirit, but there's also this other spirit. This, the spirit of the air, the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is leading people into darkness and into disobedience an unholy spirit. We know there are more than just one spirit. In 1 John chapter 4, 1, John tells us, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. So there must be many, and there are some from God, and there are some not from God. Now for for some of us, you're going, yes, I, I know that, and, and that, I, I understand that. For some right now, you're maybe thinking, whoa, this is starting to sound a little, woo, you know, a little mystical, a little exorcist, a little Twilight Zone stuff, spirits. You're saying, Pastor Steve, are you telling me there are evil spirits, there are spirits around that are trying to, to lead us into darkness? No, I'm not telling you that. The Bible's telling you that. That's God's Word telling us that there are spirits, evil spirits, spirits of darkness, who are trying to lead us into disobedience, lead us into darkness. Jesus knew this all too well. You might remember, right after his baptism, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We read on seven occasions in the Gospels where Jesus counters an evil spirit, a demonic spirit in individuals and miraculously casts them out. You might even remember one time when Jesus was rebuking Peter. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. So what Paul and what the scriptures teach is all so real. And as Paul comes to the end of this letter, this letter where he's been talking about this diverse community, these Jews, these Gentiles, these rich, the poor, the slaves, the masters, coming together in unity, coming together as one. Where he talks about making sure that you live like a child of God. You put off the old, put on the new. Where you live in submission to one another. He sends a warning. And he closes with this warning. And so today in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 10. If you have your Bibles there at home or wherever you're watching, I encourage you to open them up and follow along. They'll also be on your, your screen that you're watching on. But hear these words of Paul today as he gives us a warning. Verse 10 and 11 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now here he says, finally. Now that finally is not like my hand's tired and I'm going, oh, finally. Or maybe that's how you feel when the pastor comes to the end of the sermon. He says, I am closing. And you go, oh, finally. <laughs> that's not this. This is, okay, finally. This is, you've done everything else up to this point. Now you've got to do this. Think of it, if you're a, a cook or a baker, you know, you're reading instructions and you have all your utensils, you have your utensils, you have your pan, you have all the ingredients, you've preheated the oven. And you've taken the time to mix them all carefully and to follow all the instructions. You've done everything. And then there's this, this big finally. Finally, put it in the oven. <laughs> put it in the oven. The last step is critical to the success of the mission. So Paul's saying we can do all of these things. But finally, you've done everything else. This is of critical importance. You must do it. What must we do? We must be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul's, Paul's telling us we cannot pull this off on our own. This is not something I can muster up the will to do. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need the strength of the Lord in my life. I need to lean into his power, to his mighty power. Why? Well, I think it's pretty clear. Paul's saying we're in a war. We are in a war zone. It's time to put on the armor. It's like warning, warning. We need to be prepared. And we need to stand. Stand our ground. Paul reinforces this in the next verse, verse 12. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know what Paul is telling these Christians at Ephesus and what I believe he's telling us today is this. In our efforts to live together in community, in righteous community, we have an enemy that is relentlessly opposing us. In our efforts to live together in righteous community, we have an enemy that is relentlessly opposing us. That's why at times it's hard. It's hard in, in, our, in church relationships, in, in the parent-child, husband-wife, slave-master relationships. Because there is a power, a force, a spirit that is opposing us. Our adversary, an opponent. We understand that. We understand what it means to have an adversary or an opponent. We're, especially in a culture that's so immersed in sports. I was thinking this week, I could be at five foot ten and 60 some years old, I could be the leading scorer in the NBA. I know how I could do it. 
right now. All they would need to do is pass a rule that says nobody is allowed to guard Pastor Steve. Nobody's allowed to play defense on him. No one's allowed to swat his ball away. No one's allowed to block it. When Pastor Steve goes to the ball, you need to open up the path when he goes to the goal. Or the same thing in football. No one can tackle Pastor Steve. We would be a star, wouldn't we? When there's no opponent, it's easy. When there's no one in your way, when there's no one opposing you, we understand what it means to have opposition. That's why it's a struggle. Satan is relentless. That's why many times this is referred to in our lives and trying to pull this unity thing together is spiritual warfare. It's a battle. We need to be ready because the Satan is relentlessly pursuing and relentlessly opposing us. In fact, 1 Peter 5, 8, we read this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In these passages, we learn that Satan is active. He's prowling around. We learn that he's scheming. Paul had recently said the schemes of the devil. He's, he's planning. And he's relentless. And he's our adversary. But I also noticed in that verse 12 that Paul did not say that this was their struggle, your struggle. He says, actually, he says this this is our struggle. It's our struggle. This is just not a personal issue, it's not even just a family issue. But it's a, this is a church issue. This is a community of faith issue. This is a family of God issue. When Satan attacks one, he attacks all. Paul is writing to the church and he's saying, when you put on this full armor to take on this adversary, you need to do it in community as a church together. When Satan attacks one, he attacks all. You know, a lone soldier standing out in the field, no matter how well protected, is very vulnerable. But back in the safety with the other troops, with his team there, they are much more protected and able to withstand attacks. And so Paul is saying, this is all of us together. We're in this together. And again, he makes sure they know who the battle is against. He says in verse 12, our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, he's making it plain. Our struggles are not against our husband versus wife, child versus parent, slave versus master, as Pastor Eric shared with us and addressed that last week. That's not the struggle. In fact, today we would say that struggle is not boss versus employee, citizen versus alien, Democrat versus Republican, 
or black versus white. Paul names the struggle. The struggle is against the rulers, the authorities, the powers, the forces, all unseen who are at work to pull us into darkness, to pull us into disobedience. Or as Jesus said, to come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's who the battle is against. That's who we are opposing. You know, this verse with these rulers and authorities and powers and forces and people wonder, okay, what are you talking about? You know, and, and most people would say these are some sort of maybe a, a hierarchy in the devil's organizational chart. You know, I, and I don't know about that. You know, I, I've looked a little bit. I, I, I got to tell you though, truthfully, I, I don't care to really get to be an expert on Satan and his corporate structure. You know, I really don't want anything to do with him or his ways. And I think that's what Paul would have us to say. You know, Satan and his henchmen, they're sowers. They sow anger. They sow hatred. They sow pride. They sow lies. They sow discord. They sow division. And when Satan sows and is allowed to sow, we reap. Society reaps. The church reaps at times. We reap things like injustice, oppression, and racism. You know, if Paul makes anything clear in his writing is that anybody who thinks they are superior, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, slave, master, anybody, if anybody thinks they are superior, that is a thinking straight from the pit of hell. We all are created in God's image. Red, yellow, black, brown, white, all are precious in his sight. Like most of you, my heart has been broken. As we've seen the fruit of Satan's sowing, this past week in our country. But really, it even goes further than that. When individuals who are created in God's image are judged and prejudged based on the color of their skin, the culture they embrace, or the language they speak, you know it's Satan's handiwork when someone who looks like me is treated differently than someone who looks like George Floyd. Or when a person is more likely to die just because of the color of their skin. You see today, we reap. 
We reap what Satan has sown. The anger, the hatred, the pride, the lies, the discord, the disunity, the division. And we're reaping the injustice, the oppression, the racism. We see evidences of that all around. Not just what's taken place with a few individual situations, but now we see the fruit of that in riots. We see the fruit of that in wars down through history. When Satan is allowed to sow and sow and sow, eventually we reap. In our efforts to live together in righteous community, we have an enemy who is relentlessly opposing us. And it's our struggle. It's our struggle. It's not their struggle. It's not your struggle. It's our struggle. You know, the Quakers have had a long history of speaking out against injustice, of providing a safe haven for the oppressed, caring for those who have been hurt and injured, protecting the vulnerable. That's in our DNA. And as the church, we must recognize the handiwork of Satan and we must resist it and confront it relentlessly ourselves. We are called. It is our problem. It's our struggle. When Satan attacks one, he attacks all. How do we do this? Well, let's look first at what Paul says in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after that, you have done everything to stand. He says, put on that full armor. Notice that word, therefore. Because of this battle that we are in, if we are going to confront it, if we are going to resist it, or if we are going to reject it, we must be fully armed. Now, if Paul were writing to us today, he probably wouldn't use the example of an ar of a armor and soldier. That was his world he was living in. He might have been looking at the very soldier that he was writing about here and looking at his equipment. If he was writing to us today, he would be, probably say, put on your masks, <laughs> wear your gloves, put, put protection on your shoes, get out your germ bandit. Get your wipes. So it doesn't matter what Paul is using here as a metaphor. The truth is we are to be armed and ready and protected. And so Paul gives us our orders to put on the full armor of God and to stand firm. Just like he said in verse 13, to stand your ground. Last week or two weeks ago, I said, give Satan an inch and he'll take a mile. 
The church needs to stand our ground and standing up for those who are oppressed, to standing up for our, our black brothers and sisters and others that are suffering injustice. And don't give an inch. Don't give an inch. First Peter 5.9 says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. James chapter four, seven says, submit yourself to the, then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Church, we need to stand firm. We need to submit and we need to resist. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell, which really most likely means the powers of evil will not prevail against it. When the church stands up, when the church is vocal, when the church reaches out to the oppressed, we stand firm together. And so that brings us to the most famous part of the passage and what a few days ago probably would have been the focal point of this message. Paul tells us what we need to do to put on that full armor. It's in verses 14 through 17. He says this, he says, put on, put on. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We are to be people of truth. Satan and his forces are deceivers. God's truth defends us and God's truth defends those who are unable to defend themselves. We are to be righteous. We are to walk as Christ walked. We are to rely on his righteousness. We are to be ready to share the good news of reconciliation to the world. And we go in faith, claiming our salvation and carrying the truth of God's word. Church, stand up, hold our ground, demand justice for the oppressed. How do we do that? Well, I noticed those first three items that Paul mentions. Stand up for the truth, exhibit righteousness, and offer reconciliation. Stand up for the truth, exhibit righteousness, and offer reconciliation. I believe that's God's call for us, for his church today. Stand up for the truth. We need to stand up. Not for the truth that God has revealed and for the truth that all men are created equal. <laughs> that we are all created in his image. We should exhibit righteousness. Not judgmentalism. 
certainly not the anger and the hatred that Satan sows. And then we are to offer reconciliation. Reconciliation, reconciliation to God and reconciliation to each other. That's my prayer for us. In fact, Paul closes verse 18 and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Here's the truth that I want to leave with you tonight, today. Our spiritual battles are won on our knees. Once that armor's on, I think Paul would say, now finally, finally get to prayer. We've seen our nation torn apart. We've seen rioting in cities. We've seen needless, unreasonable deaths. We need to pray. Our spiritual battles are one on our knees. As we close today, I've asked Pastor Eric to come back up and to lead us in a prayer for our country, for our brothers and sisters who are feeling oppressed, our brothers and sisters of color who wonder if they're safe and for peace for God to do a mighty work. Not just in our society, in our culture, but wow, in our churches. Let's pray. And church family, would you, uh, in response to Pastor Steve's words, would you take on a posture of an open heart to God in prayer, maybe holding the hand of those next to you or going down on your knees to, in full surrender to God or maybe opening up a palm to receive the Spirit of God as we go to him in prayer. God of all peoples, um, before this moment in time, you are. You are Yahweh God, the beginning and the end, and you see everything. Holy God, we submit ourselves to you and to your ways, laying aside our egos and our agendas and even our perspectives to worship and to praise and to honor you. And in this posture, we confess. We confess and lay before you, Lord, a nation that is torn apart in this moment. A nation that has struggled and strived through racial tension for so long. And yet still, Lord, still we stumble and we fall. We lift our nation to you, God, and before any 
diagnosing and explaining away and coming up with our own solutions, we simply lay our nation before you. And we confess. We confess our role in the wrongdoing and the harm that is around us. Whether through our actions, everything through the harm we've done in other people's lives, to the jokes that we've told, thinking that it would be no big deal and casual, but also to our inactions when we've seen injustice take place. And your spirit might have even stirred and motivated us to do something in that moment, and yet we failed. We confess to you that we are a broken people in need of your saving love, in need of your forgiving grace. We come before you in all of our humanity. Holy Spirit, come. And because your grace is sure and because your forgiveness is here, Lord, we ask for your healing. Healing on our own hearts, but healing in our neighborhoods, in our homes, and in our city, Lord, and across this entire nation and all around the world, would you bring your healing hand and would you bring about reconciliation? Reconciliation throughout this nation and reconciliation in our own relationships. Holy Spirit, come. Come and help us to see, and not just to see what you see, but help us to see as you see. Just as Jesus was on the border of Samaria and hears the outcry of lepers in Samaria, he looks up and sees them. Lord, help us to see as you see. Across borders and boundaries and dividing lines, across neighborhoods and perspectives, help us to see across those dividing walls and to truly see as you see. So that we, as your people and as your church, could be most prepared and conditioned for your Holy Spirit to work through us to bring about your kingdom. Your kingdom that is always at work, that is gathering all things unto Jesus, as the scripture said in Ephesians. And to reconcile us to one another, yes, and us as a humanity to you. And so out of that ministry of reconciliation that you are hard at work and has invited us into, Lord, we lift up the plight of those that are hurting. We lift up George Floyd and his family and those that are grieving his loss. For the family and friends of Ahmaud Arbery and for so many that are grieving the loss of unjust death. We lift up our friends, but also our str- the strangers among us that are people of color, that are hurting and fearful and confused. Lord, good shepherd, would you comfort them in this moment? Holy God, we lift up those in our congregation and those all around us that are serving on the police force 
that kiss their spouse and wave goodbye to their children every morning going out to serve and to protect. And yet in the midst of extreme chaos are burdened with the great responsibility of carrying out their tasks. Would your peace and your hand of calm be upon them? Lord, we lift up all people of authority in our land. From the top down, Lord, those who carry authority, earthly authority, let them recognize that it is borrowed responsibility. Teach them the ways of Jesus that is servant love and servant leadership and servant authority so that we can all recognize in full humility that we are people created by our maker in need of a savior and invited into a greater way, a greater way of, of love and of compassion and of peace, far greater notion that we can even fully understand and yet in many ways can understand in this moment what our next step towards that kingdom vision could be. I lift up the protests that have occurred and will continue. Lord, that, our vo that as voices are being raised and heard, that these voices would be done in the spirit of peace. Because it is that peace that passes all understanding. That is what is going to bring about your kingdom reconciliation. Holy Spirit, come. Just as you came on that day on the church that were once scattered and now brought together and your Holy Spirit flooded into that place, Lord, Holy Spirit, come among us as your people. Let us as your church and your people be a light into this world to represent you and your presence, living by the law of your love, so that we all can experience your shalom, your, your peace. Lord, it is not according to our own willpower or strength that we ask for all of this, but it is because of Jesus. And so it is in his name that we bow before you and cry out to you on this day. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Eric. You know, it has been a tough week. So how do we respond? Stand your ground. Stand firm. And stand up for the truth. Exhibit righteousness. And offer reconciliation. And of course, join us this week fighting this spiritual battle on our knees. Thank you so much. In the next few minutes, there'll be some questions coming up on your screen, some that deal with these issues. I encourage you to stay in for the next 15 minutes and answer and think about and pray over some of the issues that will be coming up on the screen. And then in 15 minutes approximately uh, for the final cafe, you can join Pastor Eric and have some discussion. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great week. Stand firm. Stand up for the truth. Exhibit righteousness and offer reconciliation, and keep praying. God bless.